Bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and unicorn. No. Yes, I am. How are you a unicorn? Do you know what a unicorn is in slang? No. It's a bisexual person who sleeps with couples. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm a unicorn. Good for you. Thanks. Just Between Us (laughs) is a podcast about brutal honesty, female friendship, and completely unsolicited advice. You didn't know what a unicorn was? I've been a unicorn this whole time. I got confused with um, a snowflake. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny, actually. I mean, I know what a unicorn is. It's a horse with a horn. I used to love those. Yeah. It's funny, even before I, like, knew, knew what it was and, like, was bi or whatever, like, when I was a kid, my room was, like, all unicorn-themed. Well, I don't get the origin of that. Because it's so rare. The idea is that it's so rare. Oh, to have sex with a couple? No, that the, like couples that want to have threesomes are like looking for like a hot girl who will like fuck them both. And that's like so considered so rare that you're a unicorn. Oh, wow. And you're like sought after. Like you're like desired. This is so great for your ego. I know, isn't it? I yeah. love to be like unique. I love to be like an endangered sought species. After. Sought after. Hot. Ha- yeah. How many couples have you had a threesome with? I don't know. How many? Guess. Guess? Yeah. I would say less less than 10? More than 5? When if, but sometimes I'm the, in the couple. That doesn't count. Okay. So probably I I'll guess I'll guess f- 5. Who was your favorite couple? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. I fucking knew it. I knew it. In each time that you did it, did you have a favorite person? A preferred person? No. Cuz cuz well, sometimes, but no, like um uh sometimes it's a surprise where I like only I'm closer to one of the people and then like I'm su- surprised by like that their partner's not ugly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really progressive stuff happening over here. No, do you know here. what I mean? Like where or you're like, that "Oh, the, maybe that you're more attracted to them than you thought they would be." Yes, yeah. There's no such thing as ugly. Oh my god, look at you. Tell me more about that. No thanks. Say more. I just it's subjective. Everything is subjective. I don't know. I'm I'm sick of of saying that about people. That they're ugly. I agree with you. That's why I'm asking you to say more. What I try to do now is I say I'm not attracted to them. Yes. Exactly. Cuz like I there are people that I am into that I understand are not conventionally attractive and I don't care. Yeah. And what like you find or, like a thing I'll do is I'll be like are you attracted to them? Yes, what you find sexy is so uh, subjective. Yeah, and so I've like one of my favorite things to do when I'm watching The Bachelor or Bachelorette is try to figure out who everyone thinks is the most attractive because it's always different. Yes, isn't that no awesome? One, no, like, yeah, no one ever has the same opinion. I've always said that I'm not compatible with anyone who would also date you. Yeah, like anyone who thinks that you're the hot one, like it wouldn't work out for me with them, and anyone that thinks that I'm the hot one would never work out no, with you. No, but like I can't even date someone, no offense, who like finds you attractive. Really? Really? Yeah. That's rude. Jake doesn't find me attractive? Like, uh, not to him, but, like, he thinks you're pretty, but he's not attracted to you. That's pretty fucking rude. (laughs) No, I I get it. I get it. Because it's like, well, that's, like, been a thing in our friendship that's worked out really well for us. Mm -hmm. Is that, like, we do not have the same type at all. Other than Adam Adam Driver. Driver. 
Moving on, we have a great episode this week. Our producer, <laughs> Melissa, is very confused by that admission. Um, we are going to be talking all about linguistics with Amanda Montel. Later on, we'll get a little more serious discussing abortion. But first, hit it! Boston, Massachusetts. Ooh, I love both anonymity and the city of Boston. <laughs> there you go. This week's for you. Okay, the general question. How do you keep yourself from getting bored in a relationship? When is it worth putting in the work versus cutting your losses? Okay, and then this question, I okay. read it and it has nothing it has to do with the question. nothing to do with the question. So I included the context. But the context makes no sense. The actual thing is don't date people you don't like and then move in with them. Right. So that's, <laughs> I mean, duh. Just but, imagine what this email was and, and just imagine it has nothing to do with the main question. Yeah. So now the main question is how do you keep yourself from getting bored in a relationship where you do like the person? Right. And where you start off not bored at all. Got it. Well... This is one of my biggest fears. That people are going to get bored in a relationship? Yeah, or that, like, I'll run out of things to say. Well, that's why you got to spend time apart. So you have I, stuff to talk I about. I know, but oftentimes, like, I won't have that much to report. One time I was in New York, and, and I was on the, it was, like, one of the first times I'd been away from Jake, and, and I kept being like, I'm really sorry. I have nothing to say. <laughs> well, th- then bring up other stuff. I had nothing. I could think of nothing. Really? Yeah. And then I and then he was like, "It's okay." And I was like, "Oh, this is we can't ever be long distance." What? Really? I, I lose I all love, my flair. I love to chat. I I don't know. I it depends. I'm not great on the phone. Oh, that's so interesting. I'll chat for hours. I love to chat. You love to talk. You don't love to chat. You love to talk. I like to talk, but I like I like the other person to tell me stuff and talk and chat. But like you like, could you could be dating a mute and you would be fine. No, because they. I would want them to write down for me how their day went. Yeah. Like, I, I do a lot more of, like, how are you? Or, like, well, tell me what your day – tell me what your day was like from the beginning. Like, I, I love uh, – I like uh, – even, even not just, like, tell me what your day was like, but, like, I'll be like, hey, so – do you believe in God? Like, <laughs> you got to have stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what's something uh, – sometimes people don't like it. Like, I'll be like – uh, tell me about your life starting from when you were born till now. I hate that question. Why? It's just obnoxious and it's not something I want to actually answer. To me, it feels inc- completely inorganic. Like, I'm willing to tell you all the things you probably want to know, but it has to come up naturally. I'm, yeah, but if, then, like, we'll get to it. You know, like, I'll be like, oh, so what was kindergarten like? Yeah, see, I, I'm so, this is why I don't date you. <laughs> why? I'm trying, like, then you never run it's out of things so to talk inorganic. about. so inorganic. But then you never run out of things to talk about because it'll lead to something. They'll be like, actually, in kindergarten, I had this really crazy teacher. And I'll be like, oh, tell me more about that. So that's so your advice on how to not get bored no. in a relationship is to ask them about kindergarten? Why don't you be interesting? Have hobbies, have stuff going on, like have stuff to talk about. So or this ask is in- them this a is question. interesting because you're the one who is more into open relationships and mm-hmm. you're not afraid of becoming bored. No, because I have open relationships. But So let's pretend that you're monogamous. How Ugh. do you – okay. So let's pretend you're monogamous and you've been with the same person for 40 years. How do you not get bored? I think you have to have your own interests. I think you have to spend time apart. I think you have to have your own friends. I think you have to, like, not be together all the time and not be codependent. I also think drama really helps. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, like Just drama. Just stir up drama? No, not even your own drama. But, like, if oh, you have talking drama about other at work or, like, yeah. if you have drama at, like, if you – it helps if you're interested in each other's, like – 
unrelated drama. So like if you're like, oh yeah. my God, you're never going to believe what my sister's husband did. Yeah. You can like talk shit. Or like if you're like, if, if like the, your partner comes home and is like, oh my God, like Andy and HR is a fucking nightmare. And you're like, tell me everything. And you're like, oh, did he say this like last week? Yeah. <laughs> like you have to be like engaged in each other's drama and that'll like always be, there always will be something. Uh, one of the most interesting things I've ever read was that they did this study and, like, the number one indicator of, like, if a relationship was healthy and was going to last was if, like, one person – if, like, a couple was walking and one person was like, oh, look at that bird. And then the other person, like, acknowledged the bird. Really? Yes. Like, literally just being like, oh, yes, wow, what a bird. But then, like, the couples where someone went, oh, look at that bird, and then they kept just walking, and the other person didn't acknowledge it, that was, like, a horrible sign for the relationship. That's, I mean, I believe that, because that's, like, that's, You gotta like, be engaged. Engaged, right. And you gotta fake it, even if you don't care. Yeah. About the bird, you have to acknowledge that your partner cares about the bird. Exactly, and if you, and if you, that's what I mean about the drama, like, if you don't know these people, but if you, like, can care about the drama or whatever, like, my parents, I feel like, had invented so much drama related to, like, May May, or my grandmother who passed away or invented so much drama with like my you know my aunt uncle or whatever like they just come up with all this drama and then they like love to talk about it they had kids drama yeah, having with kids you get a lot to talk about drama with me and my sister and my brothers like are you kidding me like they that like feeds them they uh, love that drama when when is it like do you should you get divorced because you're so bored i think it's when your partner doesn't care that you're bored I I think if you if you go to therapy, if you try, if you like do things together, like take a salsa class, if you but like, like I'm saying like let's say you propose those things and your partner says no, then then, then they're not working. Then on they're it. not working. Like mm-hmm. you have to both like you, the whole thing of like when is it worth putting in the work versus cutting your losses? Yeah, when they're also putting in work. Yes, you both have to be putting in the work. Right, absolutely. You can't be the one that's like dragging them to do stuff. Like you have to both be. Uh, you either have to both be like, let's try to like go to f- sex parties, or let's like try to open it up, or whatever. Uh, or you I both have more to, of the salsa dance. I'm just saying, but... or you go like, hey, sh- we should really get into kickboxing together, or whatever. Right. Like, if if you are both interested in um doing stuff or whatever, not having a baby, do not have <laughs> a baby because you're bored. I also think that it's important that sometimes you might be bored in your job, and then you think you're bored in your life. Yeah. So, like, you'll be like, oh, my whole life sucks, and all I do is the same thing every day and whatever, and, like, you lose sight of the value of your partner mm-hmm. because, like, your your nine-to-five is so, like, soul-sucking. Take a little staycation together. Okay. You yeah. know what I mean? If you can afford to go on a vacation, go on a vacation because you get out of your rut. But yeah. if, you, if you can't, have a little staycation. Right. Or, you know, what you could do is have, have go on separate vacations. And then come back and report and on it. And then come back and report on it. I also think that what's really important is you have to still find that person funny. Yes, like, absolutely. You know, like I like walked in, my parents were staying with me and I like walked into the room and like my mom was just like laughing about mm-hmm. something and like uh, my, I was like, what? And my mom, and like my dad had just made the dumbest joke. Yeah. Like where my mom was like, I'm. I'm so sweaty. And my dad was like, I know. And, and she was like, oh, you're sweaty too. And she, he was like, no, you're sweaty. Or like something so stupid yeah. like that. And like I had walked in and she had been like, oh. like she loved it. You know, yeah. like you have to just like, like. Sense of humor compatibility sense of humor is, huge. is huge. Like if you're still laughing together, you're not going to be bored together. Yeah. 
Well, that's the the thing of like if you can survive uh, a road trip or if you can survive um, being at the, stuck at the airport together, right? Then like you're gonna make it. The whole you know thing of I mean? like you want to have fun with some, you want to be with someone you have fun with at the grocery store. Yeah, well, like when we had Josh Gondelman on and he, we asked him how he knew his wife was the one, and he said that he would always prefer that she be there. Yeah, like that's that it'll be more fun if she's there. Totally. That's to me was like the perfect answer. I think that's lovely. And like I. I also, I also, for me, I don't think you can discredit sexual attraction. I think you, you, you should. What is that? Oh my God. <laughs> We've finally come Got to him. it. Got him. Got him. I'm pretty sure that last night as I was going to bed alone, I said out loud, Jake is so good looking. Oh. Or, or at least thought it. I was like, you know, because he's just so wonderful. But then I'm also like, oh my God, he's also just so hot. Yeah. Like that's important. <laughs> like. That's important that you like uh, that you still I think I think you still have to be having sex if that's your thing. Like, I don't think I think it's like that will keep the relationship going, even if it's just like intimacy. Like you you, need physical. You need intimacy to Mm -hmm. like keep. And if that's your thing, if you're not asexual, if you're not if, if you don't have, you know, like if that's important to you in the beginning, it should like stay important. Like. And I think it's important to always prioritize it so that you don't go into slumps. Yeah, like in, like e- even whatever intimacy means for you. But mm-hmm. yeah, just like so that you – so to like – because there's something physical released in your in your brain and your body when you are like intimate with someone in, in a way. And so like it keeps you connected. Yeah. You know, and that's like a thing that I think a lot of couples let die. Mm-hmm. And then that is like a bad indicator. Like it, it won't – it won't continue if you if you, yeah, you that is you can't let it die. You can't let it I die. I think you can get it back, but it's like a lot of work to get it back. So it's yeah. just like way easier to just not let it die. Yeah, and like and like don't be judge you know, be like, hey, uh what is there you know, it's like Twenty years in, you want to do butt stuff? Like you know, keep it like, like you would wait twenty years to do butt stuff. I know. I'm talking about other people. <laughs> I'm saying other people. You're like week two. I'm a little bored. Can we? I know. I where well, are your anal beads? I get so bored though. But I. But like I. I also. I think you have to. I think you get bored because you don't really know what intimacy is. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, why would I argue about that with you? Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding? So avoid maybe, it, avoid an attachment, baby. Maybe once you find and understand intimacy, you won't get so bored sexually. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll buy it. Okay, great. <laughs> if you want to submit your international questions, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We're going to be talking about talking with Amanda Montel. Just between us. between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions (laughs) we promise a lot and we deliver a lot (laughs) today we have an incredible guest amanda montel uh her book word slut a feminist guide to taking back the english language came out in 2019 this very year 
pitch us what the book is. Okay, cool. So um, the book, Word Slut, is um, this quick and dirty crash course um, in the subject of language and gender. So basically every chapter in the book talks about a different topic having to do with that general subject. So everything from the history of our favorite gendered insults and what they say about our culture at large to grammatical gender, like in languages like French and Spanish, which have um, gendered noun classifications and how those like subtly inform a speaker's perception of real life gender um, when thinking about humans versus um, a language like English where we have gendered pronouns like he and she and some other um, gender coded language like actor, actress, host, hostess and like the the different influence that that has on English speakers versus languages that have absolutely no gendered pronouns or really any gendered lexical items or words at all. Um, There's a chapter on cursing. There's a chapter on genitalia naming slang Mm -hmm. throughout history. There's a chapter on gossip and like what that really means. Um, And yeah, there's a chapter. I love gossip. I know you do. We love gossip. Don't we all? Um, And there's uh, the chapter that you're referencing is called uh, Women Didn't Ruin the English Language. They, like, invented it. And um, that chapter talks about some of the qualities um, normally – recognized and lambasted in women's speech, like using quote-unquote filler words, um, vocal fry, uh, upspeak-like, mm-hmm. um, and... What is vocal fry? So vocal fry is, um, well, it's commonly attributed to Kim Kardashian. I guess that's uh, the figure that made it famous, but... Um, I mean, the 80s made it famous. Yeah, well, the funny thing is that, so basically it's this um, speech quality that we normally hear at the ends of sentences in English where um, your vocal cords become really relaxed and vibrate such that you end up sounding kind of creaky, like the grate of a guiro or a creaking door <laughs> like uh-huh. that. Um, and uh, people like to attribute it to teenage girls, um, makes them sound lazy. It doesn't make them sound very authoritative. Um, but funny enough, in the linguistics community, it's known as creaky voice. Um, <laughs> and I remember learning about it in my phonetics class and like all of us linguistics nerds being like, she's a super creak. She's super creak. She's super creak. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I like said that in public at a word slut event once, um, and the moderator was like, "Never do that again." <laughs> so. What a shitty- <laughs> No, she was um, delightful. I fucking love her. But um, yeah, to be fair, it is a silly joke. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, vocal fry has been like empirically studied by linguists and it actually like wasn't first pioneered by um, young females, but um, was popularized by young females and like was noticed more in the speech of young women um, about like 10, 20 years ago. And um, automatically it was criticized because not necessarily because of the inherent quality of this speech effect itself, but because of, like, our existing, um, you know, biases about young women. So Um, if it had shown itself in young men, it might not have had the same reaction. Totally. And, like, to speak to the word like, there's this uh, journalist who wrote this piece in sort of in defense of like and other qualities for The New Yorker, and he said something like, if if men were the ones to pioneer like, we'd be reading the like New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah. It really has to do with our ideas about a certain population, whether that's um, a gender population or, um, you know, whether it's a a racial group or ethnic group, group of different socioeconomic class, you know, we project our existing um, preconceived notions about that group onto their speech, um, whether or not the speech is inherently, in air quotes, um, bad or stupid or whatever itself. Some of our culture's most oppressed groups are also the pioneers of our best language. So like 
our most innovative, most fun language. So basically every fun slang word you know um, was invented by speakers of African-American vernacular English mm-hmm. um, or more specifically um, like queer queer people of color. Oh, black like, drag queens black drag invented queens. fucking everything. Fleek, woke, yas, all yeah, of that. Read, shade. Well, Fleek was a, a black woman. But like, yeah, black drag queens yeah, yeah. were like all, uh, they've invented all of that. All of that. Yeah, totally. Um, And, you know, s- same goes with, with women too. Uh, linguists have come, you know, found time and time again that women, young women tend to be our language's linguistic innovators. Um, And there are multiple reasons for that. You know, it could be that women are just like, culturally given more permission to speak with more flair. Um, mm-hmm. It could be that women are socialized to attune a little better to changes in language. It, it also could be, my favorite theory is that um, women more often than not uh, use language as a as a form of social power mm-hmm. or as a, um, a way to, to climb the the power ladder in our culture um in you know in a society that doesn't give them a lot of other ways to gain power Mm -hmm. so like language can be something so by like creating like when in mean girls when she was like that's so fetch that was just like her trying to become more popular yeah basically (laughs) i love that example no one's brought that up yeah yeah i mean it could be something as um as like simple and fun as that or it could be something as serious as um there's an example of that i talk about in the book where um there was this community of hungarian speakers who ended up on German soil because of the way that the borders changed after one of the wars. Yeah. <laughs> I forget which one. And um, so they, they were kind of shit out of luck because now all of a sudden they lived in a German-speaking country, but they all spoke Hungarian um, because they were born in what was then Hungary. And, um, you know, m- women, in order to move up in the world, in order to kind of like marry up or get a better job Mm -hmm. or whatever they wanted to do, like, had to learn German. Um, Whereas men, you know, they could get a blue-collar job. They could make a pretty good living in the community um, without having to acquire new language skills. Yeah, and, like, that's true, you know, whereas uh, where a woman might have to, in order to, like, make as much money as a man would working a blue-collar job, get what's called, like, a pink-collar job, like, as a secretary or something like that. Mm -hmm. And for that, she would have to acquire new language skills, whether that's um, a whole new language, like, in the case of Hungary versus Germany or, um, you know, a different dialect. She would have to, like, code, learn how to code switch in a certain mm-hmm. way, learn how to speak in a new register. Um, so, yeah, like, whether it's something as simple as, like, fetch or pioneering a new slang term mm-hmm. or um, learning a, a different language so you can, like, literally get a job, um, women tend to be ahead of the linguistic curve. There's also uh, – there's yeah, there's a lot of, I think, with marginalized people speaking in code because they don't want – the white people or they don't want the the straight people to know what they're saying. Like totally. the, with gay guys, there's a lot of – I was listening to something about like in the 30s that you wanted to – like the, the reason that gay guys call each other she or are like, oh, she's – like she thinks she's fancy or whatever. Like one of the reasons is because they would refer to each other as she so that people overhearing would think they were talking about women they For were safety. Yeah. For safety. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and now, you know, fortunately we live in a culture where, you know, Sadly, people are still persecuted mm-hmm. and and hurt um, because of their sexual identity. But like you know, now it's it's not as necessary for men so to now gay men to use in gender version. Yeah. yeah, in America. In America. So now it's like a funny thing where they just right. go like, "Oh, look at her!" About totally like, their friends. Well, the same thing about like shade and mm-hmm. reading mm-hmm. Um, and those terms that come from. What does reading mean? Reading like. 
when you are um, sort of like analyzing someone like I read you like I can see that you're doing this and that I'm um, kind of in a sassy way but I guess I love it it's all in a sassy way yeah, yeah. Well, you should watch if you want to know all about that you should watch Paris is Paris burning. is burning but um but so can we talk about the like chapter because oh, you that blew my mind away uh, and you are saying you say that it is it serves a purpose like people that think it's a filler word are wrong and the, and it actually <laughs> serves a purpose. Yeah. So actually, there's this Canadian linguist at the University of Victoria named Alexandra Darcy, who has dedicated much of her research to identifying and understanding the many functions of like, of which there are six. Ooh, and, um, you that's know, five more than I thought. Be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so people hear like, 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 like every other word and they think, oh, that's all just one word. It's a filler word. You're saying it because you can't think of anything anything better to say. You're saying it to be annoying. You're saying it because you're stupid. You're saying it because you can't think of, you know, your next sentence. Um, and but really is that, you know, the truth is that like has been a part of the English lexicon for hundreds of years. And oh, really? um, and actually there are six completely distinct functions of the word like and the two oldest types in English are the adjective like and the verb like. So in the sentence you know, sugar, I like your collar. It makes you look like um, a princess. Yeah. Um, the the first like is a verb, I like your collar, and the second like is an adjective. And, you know, even the crabbiest of English speakers are perfectly fine with both because they've been around for a really long time, right. mm-hmm. um, even though they, they are both derived from separate roots, um, old, different separate um, old English terms, um, leash and leashian, if you care to know. Um, <laughs> but then there are four new likes that have developed much more recently than that. And these are all separate likes with distinct functions as well. Um, and I can go through wh- what each of them are. But basically, only only two of them were um, were pioneered by women or are used more often. Or no, actually, only two of them are used more by women. And only one of them was invented by young Southern California females in the 1990s, hence the Valley Girl stereotype. Ah. Um, but yeah, so one is called a discourse marker. One is called a discourse particle. One is called an approximate. One is called um, the the quotative like. And that's actually my favorite one. That's um, what you would hear in the sentence. Um, and I was like, oh my God, sugar, I love your collar. And sugar was like, I know. Um, yeah, and, and that is necessary because you're not quoting exactly, exactly what you said. So that's an unbelievably useful term, exactly like you said, because it allows you to quote an interaction not verbatim, but for you to relay, you know, how it felt or what you wanted to say. Yeah. So um, that, like, has continued to explode in usage. And that's the one that, that Valley Girl, so-called Valley Girls invented. Um, how useful you don't have to say, you know, and I said... Sugar, Something I like your collar. Around the lines of plant. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's so um, concise and useful. Um, so we really have Valley Girls to thank for that. So the funny thing is that, you know, I, I was criticized once at my job working at a media company for using like too much. Um, I remember we had like a duo of media trainers, like my parents' age, come um, and analyze our like on-camera presences as editors. I was like an editor Ugh. at an online website. And we were doing a lot of Facebook Lives at the time. And um, none of us were, like, on-camera people, but Mm -hmm. we're in an age when editors have to be influencers and whatever. So um, we had uh, media training, and in uh, the session where I was just, you know, a a colleague and I had to just engage in a spontaneous conversation in front of these two people to see our Mm -hmm. rapport and how we seemed on camera, um, one of the people was like – 
very likable, high on the likability scale, but you said like too much. And I was just like, oh, it's funny, first of all, that you're using the word like in two completely separate ways in the sentence and you don't even realize it. But it's also <laughs> that, you know, um, often speech devoid of likes and you knows is perceived as too robotic and mm-hmm. not likable. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, ironically, it was those likes in part that contributed to my likability. Um, but also, you know, if if someone accuses you of saying like too much, you can say, oh, really, which kind? <laughs> so there are these six different kinds, but people kind of just like don't realize that. And they assume that because they're hearing all of these likes the most in young women, whether or not young women really are using them more. Um, it's just that, you know, we notice them more in young women's speech because young women are under this microscope because young women don't enjoy a default status in our culture like men do. Um, then, you know, they get criticized and oh, assumed to be stupid. It's... Uh, whatever somebody criticizes the way that we talk on this show or or anywhere, I say, oh, you hate women. Yeah, no, but actually. <laughs> uh, what, what you're telling me is uh, you don't like listening to women speak and you hate women's voices. Because certainly, like, if you listen to, um, so that was the discourse marker. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm attuned to people's speech, obviously, because I, like, write about and, and study this stuff. And um, I often find that people are afraid that I'm, like, judging their grammar in my head. Um, I'm not judging, just collecting data. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like, when I'm listening to podcasts hosted by men, um, like Reply All, or, like, you know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of podcasts um, hosted by, you know, like, straight, cis, white men who I love, like, very much, despite these uh, shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Um, they, but I, I listen to their speech, and I think, you know, like, technically, it sounds a whole lot like, you know, the speech of either of the two of you. You know, there's like and up talk and mm-hmm. hedging and uh, vocal hedging? fry. So hedging is another term for a discourse marker, and that's a term like, um, well, just, you know, actually, I feel mm. like. And again, people assume that they're just mindless filler words, but really, um, they – are you, there are so, so many different functions of these words, and they serve a really specific purpose. Um, and women aren't the only ones who use them, but they're more often than not the ones who are criticized for them. Um, and so I'll hear that in in men's speech, um, in, in natural conversation on podcasts or whatever, but um, they're much more rarely criticized for it because they're just not heard as much um, because we're because of our preconceived notions of men and we already assume that men are the voices of authority and so if they're using like and upspeak and whatever we just um we don't hear it as much yeah it it is it is also uh the thing of the vocal fry as well or or it's just you just don't want to hear a woman speak that's it (laughs) so are there any words or use of words that you do consider bad or wrong um, well, I mean, the funny thing is that, like, no word is inherently bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, like, do I have personal grammatical pet peeves? Like, of course, we all do. Um, are there words that I think are problematic and offensive and, like, perpetuating fucked up societal standards? Like, for sure. Are there words that I avoid because I don't want to perpetuate those standards, like, for sure. Um, are there grammatical usages that I avoid because when other people use them, like, I just naturally cringe a little bit. Like because, what? Oh, God. Um, okay. So, well, <laughs> I provide an example in the book of um, one of my brother's pet peeves, um, which is when people say, I'm well instead of I'm good, mm. which is um, a form of grammatical hypercorrection. It's when um, people apply a perceived grammar rule in a way that actually ends up breaking a grammar mm-hmm. rule. So it's when people might say, like, 
Well, just, be- just between you and, you and I. Yeah, or whom were really who should go. Yeah. Um, like, whomever took Sugar's collar <laughs> needs to return it. And it's like, that. you're trying to sound smart, but actually that's not the rule. Um, whereas, you know, um, so that's, I'm well instead of I'm good. Or like my, yeah, actually, I kind of share that pet peeve because um, I remember like a few weeks ago, I was in a restaurant and some, you know, sort of very, very posh looking waiter um, came up to us and was like, is everything tasting well? Ah, yeah. <laughs> That's just creepy. And I was like, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I yeah. cringed. Um, but, you know, I also know why grammatical hypercorrection so often happens and grammatical hypercorrection is most commonly found in the speech of women of a lower socioeconomic class because they're, um, again, trying to use language Mm -hmm. to climb a certain ladder, um, but they're, like, overshooting the mark. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of makes you feel like, okay, well, you can't judge someone for for grammatical hypercorrection. They're, you know, really... They're trying. It's commendable. It is true, though, that in uh, American culture especially, we so often equate grammar with morality, but the Mm. two are not actually connected. Mm. Like, if you critique someone's grammar... And this is true of people all across the political spectrum. Like, so often people on the progressive left will critique a bigot's grammar b- before critiquing the content of their statement. I hate that. I yeah. Hate that. And it's just like, well, you know, this amazing linguist named Deborah Cameron said something, um, said a quote once to the effect of like, Hitler was no less a fascist because he could write a coherent sentence. Like, exactly. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when people critique bigots for their misusage of a certain, you know, grammar mm-hmm. construction, it's like, Okay, fine. They broke a grammar rule, but like that's actually not the presenting problem. <laughs> there was this great thread, and I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for criticizing Taylor Swift in any way. Uh, but there was this great thread about how in the "You Need to Calm Down" video, the bad guys were these redneck-looking guys with misspelled signs, right? Oh. And um, and the person in the thread was like, "Those are not." Uh, that's not what fascism looks like. Right. Fascism is dressed in Prada. Fascism is Ivanka Trump with her beautiful 100%. hair. Fascism mm-hmm. is like well-educated Jared Kushner, who's like can re- put sentences together. Like that's the more creeping. That's right. That's the, the bigger danger. The yeah. bigger danger is like so. That's those just classist, right? right? And it's like when you um, correct a speaker of African American vernacular English for using a quote-unquote non-standard grammatical form that's yeah. actually like a structural and systematic part of their grammar. Like that's. Mm-hmm. That's racist. Because <laughs> um, yes. you're just even if if you even if you don't mean to be, even if you're not like thinking to yourself like, oh my god, this person is black and they talk wrong. Like that that's what that is though. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know that, that's actually a different dialect, and um, it's an amazing dialect. And if- I just think that there's I, and also like I think we correct people until we take take it for our own use. Like the uh, young women, the way that young women speak, we criticize it until all of a sudden we we want to use it. Oh, t- totally. So that's the other thing I was going to mention earlier. It's like we criticize the speech of a certain mar- marginalized population, and yet we lift the cool parts mm-hmm. of, of that population's speech um, without realizing that those two things are like really in conflict. So like, you know, we might criticize um, a speaker of Ac- African-American vernacular English for using a double negative or mm-hmm. the use of habitual be, which is a grammatical tense, which you might hear in something like, um, like he be singing, yeah. um, which people think is just like, 
quote unquote poor grammar, but really it's a completely separate grammatical mm-hmm. tense that mm-hmm. we don't have in quote unquote standard English, but really should because it's brilliant. Like the difference between he is singing and he be singing um, is that like he is singing is what you would say if someone is singing currently, but yeah. he be singing um, is something you would say if if it's um, in someone's character to sing a lot. People don't realize that. And so they, they'll like criticize those grammatical mm-hmm. forms and yet go home and say like, Yes, you know, right, exactly. Like, mm, you can't like it's very hypocritical, right? It's, it's hypocritical. Like picking and choosing, one hundred percent. It's like if you're going to use the products of this marginalized population, like you need to support them also at mm-hmm. every turn. Not even marginalized. Well, but like age wise, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. middle school girls, like in general, the the age the age version of it, the 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 oh you're eleven, you know, you're eleven or twelve years old, and you're the way you talk is annoying right until all of a sudden like some late night host is using it absolutely absolutely it happens in all kinds of ways it's Mm -hmm. like you know young southern california females were the ones to create and popularize this quotative like and i was like and she was like and he was Mm -hmm. like but now our parents say that shit Mm -hmm. you know because it's so useful it it fills um what's called a lexical gap Mm -hmm. where it's like there is a, a certain gap in our lexicon that's a silly definition um (laughs) where like there's a uh there's no word to describe an experience or like there's no word um to say what you need to say and um that's actually the difference between um like a slang word that sticks around and a slang word that goes out of style really quickly um i had a a slang lexicographer slang linguist describe this to me once um this is a tangent but that like um the reason why some slang words stick around for forever and why some slang words go out of style really quickly is because the ones that stick around fill a lexical gap. They, like, right, fill in There was nothing need. else like it before. Totally. So, like, the reason why there is just this massive turnover, this, like, revolving door of synonyms for the word cool mm-hmm. is because we already have a word for cool. It's cool, which actually itself started out as a slang word. Um, so the reason why, you know, nobody says groovy anymore like they did in the 70s is because we already have a word. It's cool. And, like, mm-hmm. the word lit will probably go out of style pretty quickly. Um, just, because we have cool. Yeah, I mean, that's just, like, my prediction. Um, maybe. But lit also a little bit means, like, uh, like it's – it's ter- like, I use it to mean, like, if a place is full. Yeah, totally. Like, that's I don't too. use it to be, like, the party is lit as in, like, it's it's uh, a cool party. That's If true. I go to a restaurant and it's booked up and there's, like, every table is taken, I'll be like, it's lit in here. Actually, yeah, I agree. Like, because you can also say it to mean drunk or, like, intoxicated. Yeah. So, like, I was pretty lit last night. I don't know. So maybe that one will stick around because it's it means so many different things. But um, turnt. We had turnt for drunk. We had turnt, which I sometimes still use ironically. I should probably stop. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, like, um, you know, groovy is no longer in use, but freaking out, which also started mm-hmm. as, like, 70s teen slang, is in use because we didn't have a word for that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, like, losing your mind, but that's kind yeah. of metaphorical. It's um, different than it's different. freaking out. Totally. So, like, freaking out has taken a seat at the table mm-hmm. of, like, everyday English, but, you know, what, groovy is not. What role does, like, uh and um play? Uh and um, I have not studied specifically. <laughs> um, I yeah, I don't I don't actually know. Um, I think it gives us time to think of what we want to say. Yeah, uh and um are definitely what are called filler words. Every language has it though; it's just different. That's true. Like yeah. in uh, in French, it would be like ba. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> really? Was, 
I always loved um, in in my Hebrew speaking teachers are like in when I was in um, high school, my teachers were very were Israeli, and they and it was always like eh. Yes, and in in uh, British English, you'd be like m. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, so like, interesting. It's I guess different. It's a filler language. word that has to align with the rest of the phonology of the language. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it has a purpose beyond just giving you a second. Mm-hmm. Um, is it looked look down at? Is it looked down at by oh, a linguist? De- de- nothing's looked down at by linguists. Like, that's the thing. Um, like, people think, oh, linguists are grammarians or, like, linguists are... are You're just interested in what's changing. Yeah, like, a linguist is someone who's not interested in how language should work. It's someone who's interested in how language does work. So, like, yeah, the reason why people are, like, scared to talk in front of me or, like, I've heard that before is because they think I'm judging them. But, and I say this facetiously, like, I'm not judging them. I'm just collecting data. But really, like, if I hear, you know, a non-standard grammatical usage or if I hear someone use language in a quirky way, I won't be like, oh, that's wrong. (laughs) I have a a question. Um, As uh, I know you as, like, a feminist and a liberal and like we've known each other for a while yeah the use of the singular they uh-huh. for non-binary people sure sure um the pushback on that yeah like what uh can you explain like because it's it has to do with like language evolving and like all do you get asked about that or like is that something that you think about as a linguist yeah a lot like um i actually at several of my events i was confronted in person by like the one dude in the audience or like no actually a lot of dudes come to my events which is amazing but there's always like this one like lone wolf sort of a middle-aged dude um who will raise his hand and be like singular they is massacring the english language and i just very calmly like take a seat and i'm like thank you for asking um because just that that logic is incredibly flawed, you know, because um, people people adhere. It's like I was saying, people equate grammar with morality. Like grammar is really important to specifically American English speakers um, because it's connected to the American dream itself. You know, it's the idea that if you have to if you want to be a CEO, you have to sound like one. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to be a CEO, well, that's a moral moral failing on your part as an American um, right. capitalism. But um, people, you know think of grammar as this like almighty unchanging authority like gravity or the sun but really like it's evolving all the time and English grammar um goes through you know massive ebbs and flows and changes and um you know we have grammatical guides obviously but you know our our original grammatical guides and still like the the staff members of many of these grammatical guides are like these white dudes Mm -hmm. um and so they're um they're not setting the standard all the time. They're reflecting the the standard that's in common usage some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, both of those things happen. And so rules like um, singular he, like generic he, mm-hmm. which... Um, you know, the the AP style book or whatever grammarians decided should be the rule um, like 200 years ago or so. Um, That was just based on Latin. Like Mm -hmm. that was a rule that existed in Latin. Many of the English language's most confusing grammar rules are because of Latin, like when to use um, you and I versus you and me. Like people mix that up all the time, Um, like just between you and I or like me and my brother are going to the store later. Um, Sorry, I didn't use sugar in that example. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, that was just... um, um, 
uh, a rule that was set by them because of Latin. But then, um, you know, our culture revolted and was like, no, like, fuck no. That's such a clunky, awkward way of saying, like, somebody left his umbrella under the table. Like, nobody would say that Mm -hmm. in everyday natural speech. You know, everybody from Jane Austen to, you know, everyday English speakers continued to use generic singular they to talk about a person whose identity you don't know of. You know, like somebody left their umbrella. Somebody left their umbrella under their table. You already use the singular they. Exactly. So we all use singular they without noticing Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, So that's that's one argument, you know, debunking like singular they is ungrammatical. Um, uh, My my favorite argument against it is that um, using a, a quote-unquote plural verb in a singular context has happened before in the English language. Like, thou used to be our second person singular instead of you. You would talk to one person by saying thou. You would talk to two people by saying you. But over time, English speakers just collectively decided that that was cumbersome, and now we use you to refer to one person or a group of people. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's happened before. Mm -hmm. um, And if it were happening, um, if it were happening in the same way that thou and you did, probably nobody would, would put up a fight. It's just that, you know, now this this grammatical change is coinciding with a larger social, cultural, political change, which Mm -hmm. is that, you know, our society is becoming a little bit more accommodating and um, to people of of non-binary or gender non-conforming identity. And so people who've grown up, you know, using plural they and also singular they, literally everybody uses it without even noticing in that context of somebody mm-hmm. left their umbrella under the table. But now they're being asked to use it um, when to, to reflect somebody's gender identity. And then and only then does it become a problem. So like, you know, people across the political spectrum, like people who do identify as very um, culturally and politically progressive will say, it's confusing to me. Like, yes, whatever, like marry who you want, date who you want, fuck who you want, identify however you like. But like, it's confusing to me. And it's like, okay. And lots of things are confusing. I mean, you you can you can think of, um, you know, somebody's pronouns like you would think of their name. Mm-hmm. Like you can't know somebody's name before they tell it to you. Um, you if you were to argue with them about their name, that would be rude. Right. <laughs> Someone can change their name over the course of their life. And of course, you can like slip up and get it wrong because it's confusing. Um, but ultimately, you just kind of like have to vibe and adapt and respect it and so like the same is true of pronouns and like of course it can be confusing in the beginning as learning any new skill is but the thing is like I don't understand why adhering to like prescriptive grammar rules the grammar rules you learn in school is seen as more prestigious than learning to become grammatically flexible like why shouldn't Mm. that be the standard why shouldn't that be prestigious and so I mean like the, the one of the most important things that I hope to communicate in the book is that like w- language change and cultural change happen simultaneously. Mm-hmm. The language cannot change before our society does. And so like it, it's not like you can force someone to use singular they and hope that a- after you know s- a certain amount of time of using it they'll come to respect non-binary identity. Like that won't happen. Mm-hmm. It has to happen the other way around. Them being forced to use singular, they could very well influence um, people growing up and hearing that language and and growing up in in a world that at least sounds more progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it has to happen the other way around. And so, like, we are perfectly at liberty to use language however we like. We just have to know that at a point, or actually always, our our language reflects our politics to some extent. And so, if you're like a, a person who is politically progressive or likes to think of yourself that way, and you're like, oh no. 
singular they, it's, it's just too confusing. Then, you know, it's like, fine, but use, use she for that, per, for that gender non-conforming person all you like, but know that you're hurting them and know that you are basically sending the message to the world that, like, you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and obviously, you know, there are all these cases where we can see that, you know, singular they is perfectly grammatical. It's a grammatical form that is approved by the AP style book as of some number of years ago by the entire government of Canada, by, you know, Facebook. Like, it's approved by all these authoritative um, institutions, but it's a sort of thing where you, like, start with a conclusion and work backwards to find an argument. Like, if you don't approve of non-binary identity or, like, you know, feel the need to to validate that, then you'll find an excuse not to use singular they no matter what. Um, so... That's my I TED talk. This. No, I love, I love <laughs> the idea wonderful. of language and culture happening simultaneously. That's yeah, it can't great. happen um, the other way around. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, for example, in in Sweden, like, oh, this was at our uh, Dirty Word episode. Oh, is yeah. that remember? So, like, in 2016 or whatever it was, um, Sweden, the uh, a new gender neutral third singular pronoun was added to Sweden's official dictionary, and people um, in Sweden adopted it with very little complaint. Why? Because Sweden is already politically there. Like the culture mm-hmm. of Sweden is already aligned and already chill with like gender nonconforming folks. I would argue that some people it truly is a grammar issue for them, but I think it's, it comes back to what you said about the fact that they don't understand that grammar changes all the time. 100%. No, that, I mean, that is what I encounter more often than yeah. not. Like, normally I'm not encountering these, like, flat-out bigots who are like, right. fuck the gender spectrum. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's just that that, that, grammar argument is deeply deeply flawed if you just kind of like open the door a, a little, little bit right. <laughs> um and so at that point yeah i mean it, it, and it goes back to the idea that like people cling to grammar rules so closely because first of all we love rules they make us feel safe and also like gra- grammatical rules are so important to our american culture because they they're associated with socioeconomic class and such like it you know before the fall of feudalism there were no grammar rules because there was no such thing as social mobility but like once oh, wow. like social mobility became a thing now it was valuable to learn how to quote unquote speak properly and so it's just so embedded it's so embedded in us this is wild i know i love that's why i wanted to have her on yeah that was incredible <laughs> i love this shit well do you want to do something um that's also wild but in a different way yes <laughs> would you like to play hypotheticals absolutely do you know what it's about to get are? way stupider in I, here. Lo- I love i i only i like typically in life am really stupid um <laughs> so that's actually better for me <laughs> it's just gonna get like um funny and strange okay we're going to start with america's favorite game show would you stay with this cheater here we go <laughs> after years of workplace drama and rivalry your office nemesis corners your spouse at the holiday party your spouse boldly and publicly rejects their advances, but then drunkenly hooks up with your administrative assistant, Samantha. Would you stay with this <laughs> cheater? <laughs> Wait, what? So they, like, made you look good by by yeah. uh, thwarting your nemesis, right. but then hooked up with your assistant. Right, your administrative assistant, Samantha. Okay, um, what's Samantha's deal? Oh, she's, like, a lovely girl. They were both really drunk. And where were you? Oh, you um, you were fighting with your nemesis. Got it. 
What are the rules of this marriage about like monogamy? Okay. So then you gotta you gotta either go to therapy or you gotta not stay with this cheater. Why did the spouse hook up with Samantha? Because the spouse was on such a high from having <laughs> publicly shut down your nemesis that they were just like feeling good, feeling great, feeling a little drunk, drunk. and then they kind of like tripped and fell into Samantha, and then they're like, ah, ha, 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 and then they made out. Has this ever happened before? No. Is Samantha hot? Ah, Samantha, a great question. Samantha is next level hot. Okay, so like, I feel like it's kind of fine <laughs> as long as you now get to make out with a hot person. Oh, do you now get to make out with Samantha? No, Samantha. Oh, yeah. If you now get to make out with Samantha, yeah. then it's fine. Okay, well, like, you guys did not see through this, which was very obvious that your nemesis was your soulmate, <laughs> and that's why you had so much rivalry and fighting. Oh, my God. Are you writing fan fiction? Yes. Your nemesis is your soulmate. Oh, so that was a riddle. Okay, I get the rules now. Okay, <laughs> that's what they always say, and now we're on to number two. Wow. Are you a terrible parent? You're I love this. <laughs> Your daughter has a crush on a really horrible guy and won't try dating anyone else. So you seduce the guy and make sure your daughter walks in while the two of you are role-playing sexy therapist, slutty patient. Oh, my God. She doesn't talk to you for years, but winds up with a kind, stable partner who happens to be a therapist. Are you a terrible parent? How many years does she not talk to you for? Seven. But she, but it, and if you hadn't done this, she would have married this bad boyfriend. Impossible to know. And what? Why was he bad? He was just like he was disrespectful and um, rude and misogynistic, and also smelled like poopies. Was he hot? Yes. Wow. Again, I think it's fine. I think it's <laughs> fine. Was the parent? Otherwise, You're the parent. Oh, was I otherwise like a pretty decent caregiver? Yeah. Am I married? Um, yeah, to the your your kids other your daughter's other parent. Oh, so you were cheating on your spouse to do this. But it had been cleared ahead of time. Got it. So your husband <sighs> or wife is in on this with you. Yeah, but they never admit that, so they maintain talking to your daughter. Define hooking up. So you're playing the classic seduction game, sexy therapist, slutty patient. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you learn about it in sex ed. You, yeah. Yeah, exactly. everybody knows oh about it. Oh, my God. So in this scenario, you had only gotten as far as making the slutty patient take off all their clothes. Okay. This is fine. Wait. Wait is it? No. Is it? Um, you're the slutty therapist. How old is the child? <laughs> Oh, good question. 17. Okay, okay we're so back no, out. We're yeah, out. We're no, out. I feel like it's just, no, it is not fine. You're, not, you're a terrible parent. It is no, not fine. You're a terrible <laughs> well, parent and incidentally a criminal. Yeah. Not, not in all states. Oh. Allison, what? In some states, that's fine. What state is this? Upstate where that's fine. A state where that's fine? Yeah. A state where that's fine by law. By law. But not fine more emotionally and morally. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like that you're one. You're a bad parent. I don't like that at Next. all. Next. Bad parent. Wow, whatever. Your daughter goes on to have a beautiful life that you're not a part of. <laughs> Kudos to her then. She got it together. She went on a long, long life journey. Yeah. Self-care is great. It's not about me at this point. <laughs> okay, our final game. Is this person an alien or just rude? 
Your coworker is sick and asks if they think they should go to a doctor. Okay. When you ask them to describe how they're feeling so you can make an informed decision, they fart into your hand. <laughs> Where's your hand? Yeah, claiming, how'd they get there? Claiming you should be able to tell by the quality of the fart. <laughs> is this person an alien or just rude? Why? Like, how long have you worked together? Do you hang out outside of work? They're your best friend at work. (laughs) Okay. Was it, what was the delivery? Not of the, not of, not from the butt, but like. The fart sounded like this. (laughs) Okay, I'm trying to imagine this in my real life. I'm trying to imagine this in my real life. Unfortunately, I have always disliked most of my coworkers, so it's hard for me to get into this. It felt very warm in your hand. (laughs) And why, why, why would, what would I be able to diagnose? Do you have a silly relationship with this person? No, and they're dead serious. (laughs) (laughs) But why, why would I, why, what would I be able to tell from a fart in my hand? They thought that you could tell. So maybe this is suggesting mm, that they're an alien. Maybe yeah, maybe that's how they tell someone's sick. I think they're an alien. <laughs> no, they're just rude. That's insane. <laughs> I don't think they're rude or an alien. I think they have some deep trauma and like something in their past. And, and... IBS. And IBS. <laughs> I was about to say they're celiacs. Oh my god. And then you take the fart and you go lactose intolerant. Yeah, and I like it. <laughs> like I think you just need to go on a prebiotic and a probiotic. Oh my god. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool though if you could diagnose stuff like that? From farts? Yeah. Who? Try average this one. Person? Try this one. Okay. Okay. Here's a fun game. Here's a fun game. I have a game too. Would you rather be able to diagnose anyone of any disease just by the quality and delivery of their farts? Okay. Yes. Okay. Or what's the second <laughs> or, one? Yeah. Or never poop <laughs> badly. Ever again. Oh my god, the, the second one. one. That's so Are selfish. Are you kidding me? That is so selfish. <laughs> I would, if I could never, if I would eat all the cheese in the world, oh my I would god. go to fucking France and I would eat you every could cure, si- You could diagnose everybody. You know how long people wait to get diagnosed? <laughs> no, I would go to, I would get through the second one and I would go to France on a cheese tour. <laughs> oh my god. Thank you so much for joining us and showing Gabby's true colors. <laughs> Where can we find you? Um, You can find me on the gram at amanda underscore montel and you can find word slut wherever brooks are sold get it it's so good i I was riveted thank you thank you so much stick around after the break we'll be talking about abortion Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for topics. X, 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 baby! Wow, wow, wow. Welcome back. Wow, wow, wow. On a worse note, I want to talk about abortion. Yeah, go for it. So obviously this is one of the hottest topics in America. Because of the 2020 election coming up? Yes. And, and also all of the bands that are happening. Yes, all of the and bands that are happening. And also the fucking dystopia we live in. Right. So um, I want to preface this by saying I have personally never had an abortion. Me neither, which is sort of unbelievable. I know. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because it's true. But you live a blessed life. Um, 
but I have always known that if I got pregnant, even now, I would have an abortion. So let's pretend you got pregnant for real now. Would you keep it or would you have an abortion? (sighs) Well, interesting. I'm so uh, scared of what happens to your body. (laughs) Not not like the like like the actual baby part. Like okay, but like the 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 horror show that like your ankle swell. You're talking about pregnancy. Pregnancy. Ugh. (laughs) I think that I think um I think for that reason I'm out. Okay, so that's an extremely problematic way to start off this segment, talking about abortion. I would have an abortion because I'm not financially able to take care of a child right now. No, you can't tell me why I'm allowed. Anyone can have an abortion for any reason. And if my reason is pregnancy gross, then guess what? That's valid. Okay. So everyone can – you don't have to have a reason to get an abortion. You can get an abortion. You're smiling at me like I'm insane. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying that, like, I think when you say that, you give people who are anti-abortion and pro-life ammunition. Oh, I don't care. They, I don't care. Because they, they guess what? It's healthcare. So I can have, I mm-hmm. can have an abortion for any fucking reason I want to have an abortion. I got plan B in my house, sitting there waiting for me. Really? Absolutely. Because I don't trust the government. I don't trust it to be available. So after all those bans happened, I bought a bunch of it on Amazon, and now I just have it in my house. So if you ever need it, let me know what, during, uh, I assume, the Handmaid's Tale that's coming. <laughs> when do you think life starts? When, the, when it's out of your body. Yeah. I agree. I know. And you know what? I don't care. You want to use – the people that are going to use this shit as their argument against abortion, we're already going to use it. I don't, I, and you know this, I don't like respectability politics. I don't need to be a perfect role model for people to respect what I want to do. What did the, how am I prompting you yell at me about that? I I'm just not, was asking his question. I'm not yelling at you because, no, because you said like, well, people will use. Oh, but that was 10 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> the people will use this to be like, oh, see, like there's just floozies popping plan B no, trying just, to I'm just like, kill like, their babies. You, but like, okay. Everyone obviously, like, knows about our opinion on abortion in terms of the fact that, like, absolutely it should be legal. Mm -hmm. Roe versus Wade being overturned is going to be horrible. And I say is because it's going to be overturned. Stop. It is. And the thing that we have to do is we have to do better at electing state officials. Mm -hmm. And not just for abortion, also for gerrymandering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have to support your local abortion fund. Yes. Because they provide and if you if you don't have the money, there's no shame in calling an abortion fund. They will help you. That's what they are there for. Um there's also you can join the um uh clinic escorts where you can uh hang ha- uh, help people go into the the abortion clinics and um and not get like attacked by protesters. Mm-hmm. Uh there's like all kinds of of people that are doing amazing work that if you if you are, you know, you can't go out and do it yourself, give them money, donate to them. Like they're doing fucking I you know, and I'm going to say this because I, they're doing the Lord's work. Well, and also like we've already lost the fight on the federal level because yeah. of the Supreme Court. Yeah. So it's just a matter of time before a case goes up and they overturn it. Uh-huh. So what we have to do, like, is is focus local and, you know, get if, – if Democrats can overtake 
state governments, then it doesn't fucking matter if Roe v. Wade is illegal because it just comes down to the states deciding. And obviously that's not going to happen across the country, but if we can have it happen in as many states as possible and then make it possible, provide, like you said, funds for women to travel to the nearest clinic, even though it will probably be out of state. Like we have to... I think at this point, it's like we can't, like, pretend that what's happening isn't happening. We have to, like, set ourselves up for plan B. No pun intended. Pun very intended. Uh, And it's also, like, um, I mean, it really all – it's the same as gerrymandering in the sense that it's meant to keep low-income people low-income. It's meant to keep – it's racist. I mean, it's meant to keep, like – Because rich people will always be able to get it. Absolutely. And I really – and the whole thing about it being super, like, tied to religion is such bullshit. I heard this whole podcast about how there was these group of, like, like priests, rabbis, like, mm-hmm. um, and preachers, and they had this whole secret group, and they, like, got tons and tons of women abortions. Yeah, because uh, because it it doesn't have it doesn't have to do with religion. It has to do because if it did, you would you would support welfare. You, you would, would care about the kids. Care about once the they kids came out. exactly. Um, no, it has to do with uh, control of of and not just women. We I uh, Mel magazine did a really amazing article about the impact of abortion laws on trans men and non-binary people and trans masculine people and like. It, it it's it's just a way of controlling marginalized people. It's just a way of specifically. I mean, I really think controlling low income, specifically like uh, women of color and and people of color. Like, I just think it's it's a way of maintaining the status quo that's like so cruel. And I also think that there is this belief that whether or not anyone recognizes it, of like, if you could get an abortion, then you can just really have free sex and not worry. Yeah, and well, then yeah. and then the moment that that's not taken away, and then you have to like y- your your sex life is m- controlled. Yeah, there's well, more repercussions. Yes, and so I think that they just like are so afraid of of people with uteruses being able to like engage in sex and however they want to. Yeah, it's puritanical. Yeah, and like even if like let's pretend that they get their way and it's like illegal in America, rich white people are just gonna fly to another country. Yeah. Like, but also, I hate it. I mean, it's not going to stop abortion. It's going to stop legal abortion. Right. So people are just going to die. They're just going to die. They're going to get sepsis and they're going to fucking die. And and this is to protect life. And that's what I'm talking (laughs) about. I mean, it's so hypocritical and it's so terrible. Like, I understand someone not wanting to get an abortion themselves. Right. But the moment that you step over the line and you are so unable to see the big picture and how the world actually works. Yeah. That you like want to impose this ban. Like you're either evil or so ignorant to the realities of the world. It's how about separation of church and state? You want you want the right to bear arms? Second Amendment, so you you don't you, there's no uh, rewriting of the Constitution. Okay, what about separation of church and state? Abortion laws based in religion should not be imposed on a federal level or or in government because uh, we have separation of church and state. And if you're so married to the fucking Constitution, why aren't you married to that? Because I think they would say that it's not religion; it's just protecting life, and we have rules against not murdering people. It is, but but it is tied to your religion. They right, but that you just argue it's not. And you just say, oh, it's more about, it's just protecting life and protecting life isn't tied to religion. It's just what's good and what's right. What about science who says it's not life? 
Right. No. Okay. These people don't believe in science. Oh, I forgot. We don't care about science. No, we don't care about science. I forgot about that. It's just like the world is literally falling apart. And the fact that this is so many people's main priority is like astonishing. I really care about life. Climate change? No, I don't think so. No, no. Let's let all, let's have all these babies be born. We won't help them. And then they'll die when the, when the world burns down. But thank God Jesus loves me. (laughs) Oh my God. I mean, also, like, I, I love, um, I want to um, shout out um, Lindy West, I think, uh, and some other people. Lindy, uh, the campaign of Shout Your Abortion mm. is, uh, was a hashtag, and then it's become, like, this campaign where um, you just talk about it, and you don't feel shame, and you don't feel yeah. bad, and you don't say shit. And, like, people, and then, like, people come and attack you or whatever, trolls attack you, and you just go, I, guess what? I don't give a fucking shit. Exactly. I don't care at all. And I've seen also some men mentioning it too, mm-hmm. that their partners got yeah. had to have abortions and like that's really important too. Yeah. So like to speak to the fact that like this did impact your life too even mm-hmm. though you're a man. Yeah and also or like have a, don't have a uterus. I don't know and like then they go well, well like in cases of incest or rape and I'm like oh. Even someone- in cases they're, they're getting rid of it. I know but then I go I have a question so how often does um is, is rape believed Believed or proven exactly then you have to then you have to uh, agree that you're going to believe women when they say or, or people when mm-hmm. they say that they've been raped guess what you're not going to do that so uh, that doesn't even matter or make or, or do anything and like it's just so <sighs> just so cruel it's just so cruel and do you, hateful do you have what are your thoughts on uh, late-term abortion do it do you think at any point during the time you, is there a, a cutoff for you no. Really? No, I don't care. <laughs> I care about the person who's alive. Yeah. The person who's living there's a difference in between, the world. There's a difference between there being a health risk that late and then someone just changing their mind that late. I don't care. Like, I, if you, I care about the person who's talking to me. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, care, I care about the person who's speaking to me. Sorry. I just think that it is such a deeply personal decision mm-hmm. that, like, it, if you are someone listening to this and you're like, how could you? I could never have an abortion. Great. Don't. But don't exactly. try to control my body. Don't tell other people what to do. Right. You would never. Yeah. I mean, and also, let me back up. Abortions are not uh, uh, are not spreading disease and hurt and uh causing the the re-emergence of measles or whatever the fuck because people always go oh yeah well if you want the autonomy of uh, having to do with abortion then you have to let anti-vaxxers not vaccinate their kids but the difference Mm -hmm. it is not it's not bodily autonomy because if i have an abortion it doesn't give uh timmy and sarah at fucking preschool measles that kills them what kind of world are we bringing kids into (laughs) i just you know like i i just like can't believe that these people are fine with what's happening at the border and then think that and think that trump is like a great man and like and it's totally fine that these people are dying but like if if a 16 year old girl gets raped by her uncle then she's the devil for getting an abortion yeah exactly like, what what lies are you telling yourself uh they white supremacy Oh, interesting. Okay. It's a hell of a drug. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's just, that's all it is. I mean, it's like this thing where you could unpack it, unpack it, unpack it, but it really just comes down to, like, patriarchy and white supremacy. And and people love it. They love it. Yeah. They, that's it. You just love it. You love misogyny. You love patriarchy. You love white supremacy. Good day to you. There's a lot of people of color, though, who are are deeply religious who are anti-abortion. 
I I feel like that is uh, I don't know. I can't speak to that because I am white. Um, but I do. I don't know. I do wonder how much of that is like internalized societal whatever religion stuff. Yeah. But I I don't know. I can't. I can't. Um, I would love to ask them what their reasoning is or what they think. <laughs> like, wh- wh- uh, or is it a thing of? It's just like moral superiority. Yes. It's just like being high off of moral superiority. Yeah, it's, it's like this is such a clear-cut issue in their heads of like you're good if you if you support this, you're bad if you support that, and therefore the rest of my actions and what's going on in the world doesn't matter. It's a way for you to feel like you're doing something, mm-hmm. uh, but you're not. You're making the world worse. So <laughs> our message here is vote. Vote in your state elections. Mm-hmm. Make sure that your state assembly and your and your state courts or whatever, you know, yeah. that's that's where this is going to matter because we are going to lose on a federal level. Same as we lost on a federal level with gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. So we've got to take control of these states because Donald Trump might win because of some stupid district in Wisconsin. But if we take over the House and the Senate, he won't be able to do much. Yeah, that's my new that's my new thought. He's going to win the presidency. Stop. Let's win Congress. Allison. It's true. It's very, you know how fucked up the electoral college is? And uh, Russians are meddling. It's because of FaceApp, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't listen to this until 2020. I'm just saying we have to be realistic and we have to start fighting a different way. We I have can't. to start fighting on a local level. I I can't. Melissa, want to come on in and read us? <laughs> So what do you think? Are we going to lose the election? Yeah. 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 Come on! I'll be, you know what? Fine. I'm willing to look like a fool. I'll be here beating the drum on this podcast, on JBU. Who says I'm not going to beat the drum? I'm saying that I'm going to re- maintain optimism, like a lighthouse. I'm going to be a lighthouse in the dark. I'm optimism about, about winning Congress. Yeah. I'm optimistic I'm about that. I'm optimistic that we can take Congress. I think we will lose the presidency. Okay, well, I'll be the other side and say that we will win the presidency. That's what I want. Okay. That's what I want. Yeah. I know, but I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep the light on. But you know Roe v. Wade's going to be overturned. I'm keeping the light on. That's delusion. I'm keeping the light on. Like Motel 6? Yeah, like a <laughs> Motel 6 on abandoned highway. Part of the problem is that Democrats refuse to recognize how bad it is, and so they won't play dirty. I know how bad it is, and I will play dirty. Okay, I'd love to play dirty. I'm interested in playing dirty. If anyone can contact me about how to play dirty, China, please let me Russia, know. China, Russia, let us know. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Call in, and Allison and I will uh, play dirty. I'm down to do illegal stuff to win. <laughs> so what do you rate it? <laughs> uh, 4.89 slutty words. Oh, love it. That was so interesting, right? It was so interesting. She's crazy smart. She's the best. She's the fucking best. I'm so glad we got her on. I'm I I wanted I think about that chapter about the word like every day. Um, I learned that I learned how to argue against someone who doesn't like the use of they for non-binary people. Mm. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't – I knew that they were – I knew it was the wrong position, but I didn't have the right way to argue against it, and now I do. Yeah. I I think that if you want to co- – I think Amanda does a great job of coming at these things that uh, people think are just emotional arguments in, in a very smart um, – Evidence historical based, evidence-based research, way yeah. yes mm-hmm. researched way that like obviously you shouldn't have to do because mm-hmm. people should just respect uh women and the way that they talk and respect uh the changing of grammar but if you need 
that's why I loved the book. I was like, right, because if you do need to use that kind of thing to to convince people, you've got it. Yeah, I'm definitely buying it. What did you learn? I learned that you guys are both in love with Adam Driver. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. We're not in love with him, but he is the only man that we can both agree is attractive. Uh, what was everyone's funniest part? The fart hypothetical. <laughs> I'm sorry. Holy shit. That was another one where I was crying. Crying. I was so pleased with myself when I read it. I did, I did laugh very loudly. Cry, cry laughing. <laughs> Crying laughing. I had three... Three funny parts. Ooh. I laughed also when uh, Gabby said that she had she likes to like create drama in a relationship to keep it happy. <laughs> and I just thought about from our previous episode about that chimp that or I forgot what yeah, it was that, that just push- like pushes people. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one was when you said, um, if I had a baby it would be the game messiah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean I would have to keep it. Because I guess it would lead queer people to the promised land. <laughs> Which is what, West Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Oh, it was a it was a roller coaster of an episode. It was. It was the topics were broad. <laughs> as broad as Adam Driver's shoulders. <laughs> we can promise a show as broad as Adam Driver's shoulders. <laughs> well, I just want to leave everyone by saying thank you to Amanda Montel and I, I have not lost hope. I'm just approaching this from a realistic standpoint. I'm not I'm not um accusing you. I just want to take a different side until 2020. Deal. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Melissa D. Motts, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Guys, look into gerrymandering. That thing's fucked up. It's so fucked up. Stitcher.